Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. <laughs> what is this? That's an old man voice because it's been forever since we've done this. It has been, and that's uh, that's that's been someone's fault, and I'm not going to point yeah. any fingers. Yeah, it's a whole book contract thing, man. They they our guest knows, man. You got a book contract, and he's got a fat little book I'm holding in my hand. You know, you, you got to work. I guess so. So why don't you actually introduce our guest today? So our uh, guest today is none other than Graham Hill, and I want to say Graham Hill PhD. Um, he. Uh, teaches practical theology at Morling College in Sydney, Australia. So he's probably in cahoots with that Michael Frost guy. And, um, you know, it says he's also the vice principal. They probably had to fight. Michael probably won because um, I think uh, Michael's also a vice principal, right? Is that right, Graham? That's right. Yeah. Mike's a tough guy, too, so I don't want to take him on. You know, we, we have a long history discussing Michael Frost toughness on this podcast, but more about that later. But uh, anyway, he has written a book. He's a former church planner and pastor, and uh, he has written a book. It is a tome. It is fat. It is sexy. It is attractive. You definitely want to check it out. It is called Global Church, and welcome onto the show, Graham. Right. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Graham, one of the first things we like to do when we get started is uh, for our audience who may not know you and what you've done, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story of how you came to faith and uh, what you've been up to since you came to faith? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. I grew up in a, a quite a conservative Dutch Reformed background and like a lot of teenagers, had to wrestle with whether I wanted to believe in uh, in Christ or not. And when I was about uh, 17 or so, an uncle of mine who was a surfer uh, who I thought was really cool, as you know, teenagers often look up to up to these older guys, invited me along to a youth concert. So I turned up to this youth concert and discovered that it was one of Australia's largest uh, Pentecostal churches. And it was a church service indeed, not a youth concert. And uh, gave my life to Christ that night. So I think I would have been about um, 17 at the time. It was 1985. Um, I finished off uh, high school. And then when I, I was in my last year of high school, which was 19, uh, 1986, and the church I was at, they said to me, well, Graeme, you're... Um, you will be 20 soon, so maybe it's time you planted a church. Uh, so I was a part of a <laughs> I was a part of a group that uh, was very passionate about church planting. So my first year out of school, I um, I set out with a group of people and we we planted our first church. Hmm. Uh, at the time, I, I had to work full time to support myself, of course, because church planting, you know, can be 
can be tough financially, but I I set out, and for the next six or seven years, I was involved in planning a church in a high school in our local area. Um, I don't know if you want me to say a bit more about that or not, but yeah, man, tell us tell us what happened. Yeah, so uh, for about six or seven years, I was involved in church planning. So I was in my late teens through to my my early twenties. And um, during that time, things went pretty well. The the church grew. Um, you know, it's, it's trying to juggle full time full time job as well as develop a church without any training and with very little support was difficult. And uh, even though the church was growing at the end of that time, I felt pretty pretty tired and burnt out and decided I needed to, to do some training and uh, went back to theological college. Um, finished up in the church plant, went did four years of theological training and then went into um, various forms of pastoral ministry mm. before being picked up to um, train people for Baptist ministry here in in Australia. So I think that experience of church planting before I went to Bible and Theological College was a great opportunity to, to really get a vision for church planting, uh, to think about what Christian leadership looks like, uh, to try out some of my gifts and, and talents before going to theological college. Yeah. And I guess to sort of root and ground some of the things I was learning in my practical experiences. Mm. That's good. You know, I think I think a lot of times people do it back to front where they go there and they, they kind of almost think when they get to seminary, like this is ministry, right? I read books and I just talk to people, but I don't. I don't do anything. I don't go around lost people. I don't. And I, I was the same as you. I was a church planner before I went to seminary. So it was, it was good. It was good having that. I, I agree. I resonate with that. Yeah. <laughs> I totally dig about you, man, to put it in the words of Rod Tidwell. Yeah. So I'm, I'm holding here, uh, your book in my hand and, uh, reshaping our conversations, renewing our mission, revitalizing our churches. What are these conversations and how are we needing to reshape them? Yeah, so where all this came from uh, for me was that I've been very interested in my, my uh, studies and in my ministry in missions. So um, I don't know whether I'm an applied theologian or a missional theologian or some other term, but I've been very interested in that. And in my first book, I was interested in how do we put the missional conversation in the West into conversation, fuller conversation with, with uh, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, mainline Protestant and free church thinking? And I, I wrote a book engaging with those questions, trying to broaden out our missional imagination uh, by inviting other conversation partners into, into that mix. But when I finished that work, some of my reviewers said to me, but Graham, you haven't really engaged with people from the majority world, people from Asia, Africa, Latin America, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, indigenous communities and Native Americans and so on. And maybe you need to begin to broaden out the conversation even further into those conversation partners. So that was where this, this all began for me. And the more I began to examine what God is doing in the world um, and what's happening in the church worldwide, the more stunned I was actually that how much is happening outside of, of Europe and Australia and America, outside of the West. You know, many books have been written that sort of examine 
what does it mean to imagine the church afresh and what does it mean to engage afresh in the mission of God? And most of those have been written by Euro-Americans, um, by white middle-aged men. I'm describing myself here, actually, when I use those kinds of terms. And some even say, well, what about the wild card of the global south? But the interesting thing is that far from being the wild card, one might say that they, in fact, hold the full deck of cards or, ma- or many of the deck of cards at least. I mean, the growth of the church in Asia and Africa and Latin America, for instance, has been exponential. Uh, it's been, you know, a lot has been written about the decline of the church in the West and many have lamented what's been going on there and have been trying to explore what does it mean to imagine the church afresh. But in almost every other part of the world, except probably for the Middle East, the church has been growing exponentially. Right. And the, the question that I'm wanting to examine there is, is not how do we duplicate what they've done in an uncritical way, but how do we learn from what God is doing globally? And how do we listen to what the Spirit is doing today outside of the West? Right. So what is it that's happening there that accounts for the success as opposed, you know, as as opposed to the decline in the West. What's happening in those countries that's causing Christianity to grow? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question, and again, I I think we've got to be a little bit careful because, again, um, as your listeners might know, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that the West is post uh, Christendom. Um, so we're living in a very interesting era that isn't exactly like many of the cultures of the non-West. So we've got to be careful before we try to just duplicate uncritically what's going on there. But I think there's many things that we can learn from what's going on, um, even in the the area of church planting. Uh, So one example, I think, is that there's an integration of, of a focus on the mission of God and the power and presence and reliance on the Holy Spirit. You know, so I, I can think of probably about, um, <laughs> I won't list them all right now, but I can think of probably about a dozen areas that really strike me, and this is one of them. So, for instance, in the West we see a lot of writing, a lot of thinking about the mission of the church, um, and on the other side we see a lot of talk about, well, what does it mean to to be a, a charismatic or Pentecostal or spirit-led church. But that kind of conversation doesn't really make any sense in Africa or Asia. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to church planters in Asia, for instance, and I say to them, well, how do you kind of integrate sort of a missional imagination with a reliance on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? They look at me puzzled. They think, what a strange question. Because wherever the wherever the church is booming and growing and multiplying in Asia and Africa, for instance, people are relying on the power, presence, and reality and gifts and signs of the Holy Spirit, and that they can't understand why you would want to try to separate mission from from the Spirit. So that's an example, I think, of one of the areas where the growth of the church and the multiplication of the church in the non-West can teach us something about putting together some things that, unfortunately, in the West, sometimes we've pulled apart. That, that might be one response. I could think of others. Mm. 
It's interesting you say that because, um, funny enough, this manuscript that, that we're talking about, it, it actually, that's the whole point of my book is, is linking mission and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's funny because I haven't been to Southeast Asia. I haven't been to Africa, but I've read the book of Acts. And if there's one thing that the Bible kind of links together in the New Testament, it's the power and presence of God and mission. Yeah. And so for, for me, as you're saying all of this, I'm thinking, yeah, man, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've definitely not forked out the airfare and, uh, I've definitely, not been in a lot of those places, but I've heard stories and it sounds an awful lot like what I read about in the book of Acts. And yet that's probably the last place that, that people go really for their answers. Everybody's looking for a, a silver bullet here or a, go to my latest fad or my latest conference or seminar. It's all right there. Mm, yeah, that's right. And um, I'm not a Pentecostal um and some of these terms kind of get very hazy when you when you get outside of the West. I mean, often in the West we like to we like to designate things with titles and then we can categorize them. But a friend of mine was recently saying what what the West calls Pentecostalism, the rest of the world calls Christianity. Mm. So mm-hmm. interesting. You know, so there's some interesting things that we can learn there about how mission and the spirit go hand in glove. Mm. That's good, man. So um what what would be some of the the examples that you've heard of of the power? And by the way, I'm not a Pentecostal either. But um, what what would be some of the examples? What are some of the stories that you hear about? You know, you, you've mentioned the presence of God and power of God. Um, what kind of things would would what would that look like? What are some hallmarks of that? Yeah, so um, it's one of the examples of that, I suppose, is that is that. Often these church planters uh, don't receive an income. Um, they do come from backgrounds where they're very poor. They risk a lot and they will often travel to, to places that, um, again, are very impoverished and, and to yeah. cultures which are quite different from their own. But throughout that whole process, they're, they're pioneering, they're risk-taking, their entrepreneurial spirit is... In the power of the Holy Spirit, it's um, uh, it, it. I think there's a courage and a boldness and a a pioneering desire. I think that's birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, I'm not talking necessarily just about signs and wonders or speaking in tongues or any of that kind of thing. But there's a reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. I think that does something in the human heart. Um, now, I think North Americans might be a little bit different than Australians. Uh, Australians tend to be quite risk adverse. Uh, we, we tend to be a bit cautious about um, taking too much risk. Uh, but there's something that the Holy Spirit, I think, does in somebody's heart. Uh, there's a way in which the Holy Spirit, I think, empowers people to, to, to be bold and risk-taking and pioneering. And I think that that might be an example of, of that. I mean, recently I was in I was in Seoul, and I was at a prayer meeting. And this particular prayer meeting had six or seven hundred people uh, meeting for a whole night of prayer. And time and again, people would stand up on the stage and they would tell stories of of mission in China and in Indonesia and all sorts of parts of 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 East and Southeast Asia, 
where people, I felt like I was listening to stories from the book of Acts where people had taken incredible risks, often at, and paid an incredible price, but were empowered by the, the, by the Holy Spirit uh, to do that. And many of that was about church planting as well. Hmm. Um, maybe I could I'll give you one more, one more story. I, I, um, I was asked to speak at a conference in Manila in the Philippines, and I, and I don't have a lot of money, and I decided that I would stay in a backpacker's hostel. And I was staying in this hostel with 12 or 13 other people, and I was woken up one morning with a sound of sobbing. And I discovered that just below me was an elderly Vietnamese man. And I, I found out that actually he was attending the same conference as me, but because he didn't have a lot of money, he was staying in the backpackers' hostel as well. And this guy, I'll, I'll call him Tien, began to tell me his story. I mean, the sobbing actually was him praying for Asia. He told me his story how 25 years ago he came to faith. He decided that he would plant a church in his, his home and over a 25-year period, that church had multiplied in, in homes right across Vietnam. And he estimated that there was something like thirty or 40,000 people meeting in homes now as a result of the multiplication of those, of those churches, uh, those home churches. And he told me stories that sounded like the Book of Acts, you know, where his, his brothers who were also had become uh, home church leaders had uh, disappeared. Uh, you know, family members had had knock, you know, knocks on the door where where um, authorities had had visited their home and they'd never been seen again. He told stories of incredible suffering and risk taking, uh, and yet the church, in the face of all of that suffering, uh, had multiplied exponentially. And again, I think this is an example of 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 a a group of people suffering incredibly, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, with no training, with no resources, courageously sharing the gospel, um, and, and God somehow, like the book of Acts, does something incredible. I think that might be another story to illustrate what I'm talking about here. You know, let me ask you this, Graham. What would you say that the Western churches need to do to recapture some of what we see happening in Asia and some of these other parts? Hmm. Yeah, recapture it. Um, I think there's probably uh, a couple of things that stand out for me, and one of them, as I've said about, is uh, is a, a fresh reliance on the on the power of the Spirit. Um, I think another one is a a move away from. I'm not sure how to talk about this, but dichotomies or divisions. So. I think sometimes in the West we think about a separation between the secular and the sacred or between evangelism and justice or a separation between the pastor and the church planter or a separation between church renewal you know, of established churches and church planting. We In the West we've always got this temptation to kind of put things into categories and, and pull things apart, to separate them. But whenever I travel around Asia and Africa and Latin America, all of these things are integrated in a much more holistic, a much more organic, a much more natural way. You know, an example of, uh, you know, there's this temptation for us to think about pastors and 
Oh, and there's this small, elite, gifted group that we call church planters. Um, and again, what I discovered is that that's a very Western way of thinking. So I was talking to a, um, a, a pastor in, uh, in Africa, in uh, Nigeria, and he was telling me about the exponential uh, growth of the churches in, in his city. And I said to him, how do you identify and develop and release church planters? Um, how do you know when a pastor is called to be a church planter? And he looked at me puzzled. He said, I don't understand the question. I don't know what you're talking about. And I, I said, well, you know, I know that you've got hundreds of pastors in your churches and some of them are planting churches. How do you know when somebody is called to be a church planter? And he said to me, what are you talking about? What kind huh. of pastor doesn't plant churches? That's awesome. Um, <laughs> now, again, I think we've got to be a little bit careful because because I, I think this is um, there's a difference between Sydney and, you know, um, Nigeria. There's a difference between Illinois or Chicago and Nigeria. But what I realized suddenly when he was talking to me is that I had thought about church planting and pastoring in a particular way mm. that these Africans were not thinking about church planting. Yeah. You know, in his mind, if you're a pastor, all the same. you will plant churches. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another example of this is I stayed for three months in, in Hyderabad in India. And uh, during that time, I stayed in a, 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 church, a, um, a Bible college. Uh, this was when I was, uh, I was about 22 or 23. And when I was staying with these, with these students, these students were told, until you plant one or two churches, you can't graduate. Now, again, you know, if I tried that in my Bible college here in Sydney, I think we would have a riot on our hands. Mm, but mm. Um, what, I, what I discovered there was that these, these Indian young men and women training for ministry, they didn't see a separation between pastoring and planting and pioneering. Mm. To them, it was all one and the same thing. So yeah. one of the ways I would probably answer your question is that We've got to find new ways to pull together the secular, the sacred, evangelism and justice, pastor and planter, church renewalist and church pioneer, to pull these things together that, that God never wanted us to pull apart. So that I might agree. be one of the, um, the answers there. Mm. I think you're right, man, because when I'm, when I'm reading the New Testament, it is all one and the same. You don't have it clearly. The closest you have is Ephesians 4. You've got those five roles. But they all work mm. together as a body. And so, yeah. you know, you've got maybe your your emphasis on a certain leader, but each believer is meant to have that teased and pulled out of them and developed in them to the point where that's just what being a Christian is. That's what looking like Jesus means. It's all yes, it's all of it. So I, I dig that, man. I love that. Hey, real quick, in 30 seconds, um, what what is this will be my final question? Then Pete has a special question. Um what okay so the church planner our listener is re, is re listening to what you're saying and he he picks up global church um he he reads it when you wrote this what was it what was the what were you picturing happening in the soul of the church planner who picked this book up that's a good question so 
I was hoping that the the church parent planter or the pastor would be inspired by the extraordinary things that God is doing globally mm. and be willing to listen closely to what God is doing in other local contexts and apply some of those insights critically, creatively, contextually in their own setting. Mm. Good stuff. All right, man. I like that. All right, Pete. Well, Graham, if you if you haven't listened to hardcore church planning in the past, this this question might take you off guard, but I will say this. This is the one question that everyone actually tunes in and listens to an entire episode just to hear the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like Yoda said, you know, I'm not afraid. You will be. <laughs> so here's the question. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Michael Frost, who would win? Yeah. Uh, d- uh, definitely Michael Frost. Yeah, he's uh, he's hardcore. I- I've still got uh, I'm, I've got soft hands. I just don't think I would uh, be able to stand up to the man. Yeah, I've got a manicure, wear salmon sweaters <laughs> or, or jumpers, as you would say. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you know we knew that. In, we that, I, I in fact, when we when we asked this question, oh, sorry, man, go ahead. Well, he's a sort of apostolic pioneering type. I'm a pastor teacher type, and I just don't think I would stand up to him. Quite right. So what you're saying is, despite the dichotomies we should get rid of, the the, <laughs> the church planner will always kick the pastor's butt. Oh, I think that must be the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and and just being an Aussie, you just sound tough automatically, right? See, like. Yeah. You, you know how, like, when you want to make a, a villain sound smart in an American film, you give him a British accent? Oh, when, yeah. when you, <laughs> oh, yeah. he's a smart villain. Oh, he's British, of course. Uh, but but when you want to make someone sound tough, you give him an Aussie accent. And you're like, oh, don't mess yeah. with that guy. He rips oh. beer bottles off of his teeth. He's tough. Hide like leather. <laughs> right? I thought it's more the case that you can only understand about half of what I'm saying. So... <laughs> You think the other half of what he's saying must be good, but I don't know what he's talking about. No, I think his kids, man, Crocodile Dundee just screwed us up. We're just afraid of Australians <laughs> now. We're like, oh, man, you know, that guy, he wrestles gators and carries a big knife. That's everywhere. not a knife. Now that, that's a knife. That's a knife. <laughs> so, you know, the the funny thing is, Graham, if you had answered anything other than Michael Frost would, would kill me, we just would have laughed at you because we know, you know, Michael Frost is like our secret weapon for this question. And we've overused him so much that, that especially when he puts a hat on, then he's like the fixer. So we're like, OK, no, we can't ask that question. So um, anyways, you know, Graham, it's been awesome having you. Uh, you can grab his book, Global Church. Uh, on Amazon. It's published by IVP. Uh, just came out. It's IVP Academic. Um, it is a textbook. Uh, it does not read necessarily like a textbook. Graham's put this together. It's very good. In fact, um, one of our uh, administrators is reading this book right now to do a review in Church Planner Magazine and uh, is enjoying it very much. That's just an aside. Well, thank you for having me uh, a part of the show. I've really enjoyed it. Yes. Well, All thanks. right, man. Appreciate having you yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks. Thanks for letting us open up. It would, you know, you're very smart head. It's obvious this is a very smart head we've been listening to. 
And uh, thank you, man. We appreciate you researching the global church and sharing with us what you found. Arnold, take it away. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.